A friend of mine once was being invited to go into a village and, uh, and try to train worship leaders. And on his way in, he was carrying his guitar and the person, the missionary that was inviting him said, oh, well, well you need to keep that here. And he said, well, what are you talking about? I always lead worship with my guitar. He says, yeah, yeah, but if you bring that guitar into this village, um, then these people are going to have the best worship experience they've ever had. And it will not multiply. They will not learn. They won't be equipped because they don't know how to play guitar. You've got to come in here with tools that they have that they can use and that will replicate in this context. Hey, friends, welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast, where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. So today's episode was taken from one of our coaching intensives called Life on Life Discipleship, where we provide you with personal coaching and equipping on your journey to taking on apprentices to multiply disciples. So to learn more about this coaching intensive, visit 1kh.org slash discipleship. If you're interested in learning more about a thousand houses in general and want to check out some of our other resources, head on over to 1kh.org. Let's jump into today's episode. So when we care about multiplication, we need to make sure there is a seed inside of our disciple-making efforts. But how do you know? How do you make sure that seed is in there? That's what we're going to talk about in this video. So I want to start by taking a step back and, and think about a different topic because it's very related uh, in this area of multiplication and disciple-making. And that is to understand there are very different kinds of ways to build a family. And I, want, I just want to contrast two different kinds of families uh, the first century family and what we're typically used to in the Western family to understand how different these ideas of disciple making can be. So today, what we think about as being a really good parent is for a husband and wife to come together as a mom and dad and try to really raise up a child to be a great individual. That's the way we think about good parenting. And there is a lot of importance in that kind of parenting. But that is so different than the way that parents thought in the first century. The way they saw it is that a husband and wife comes together, and what they're trying to do with their children is make their children into a good parent so that they are both the first and second generation focused on the third generation. This is why so many families to this day in the Middle East live in multi-generational households. It's assumed that if we're going to multiply, we're going to have to work together because this is going to be a lot of work. And so if you're only going to have one or two kids, then this Western idea of we're going to really focus on you as an individual uh, really does make sense of a very small family and something that we could try to do. But if it's assumed that we're going to try to have uh, four, five, six plus kids, in other words, we're going to try to multiply. There's two of us, but we want there to be three, four, five. So we want to try to get to a place of multiplication. Then trying to do that as just a mom and a dad is very difficult. Even in our culture, with all the time-saving devices we have, it's you can get you can get burned out very quickly. Uh, and in that day and age, it was much more difficult because you had all kinds of issues. You had way more problems with disease and with even even getting food, and it could take all day just to feed a family, let alone get all the other things that you need. And so they they did this through working multi-generationally. The first and second generation worked together to bless the third generation. And so they were trying to, again, not raise great, just a great child as an individual. They were trying to raise great parents. And so when you're making a disciple, you have to decide whether you're trying to make a, a good individual or a good disciple maker. 
and so if you're going to make a great disciple maker, then that is the essence of what we're talking about, about the seed being in the fruit itself, that there is a multiplying strategy in the way that you're disciple making. You can, dis- you can make a disciple in a way that is likely to be sterile and only go one generation, or you can make a disciple in a way that is likely to multiply. And the difference, again, is that you're trying to not just make a follower of Jesus who just follows Jesus uh, uh, as a as an individual, but somebody who follows Jesus as a disciple maker, him or herself. And so how do we do that? What are the tools that we need to, to make that happen? I'm going to give you guys seven tools that will help you make sure there's a seed inside of that fruit. The first one is you need to talk about it early and often. So when we're parenting our children, we're constantly talking about what it's going to be like someday for us to work together to love their grandchildren, our grandchildren, their children, that, that third generation. That's something we want to talk about a lot. Uh, and we have, and it's part of our family culture. And this is a major part of the culture of families that think this way in other cultures. Um, we need to do that in our own, our own disciple making. So you need to be talking to those you're discipling about, okay, have you thought about what this is going to look like when you're making disciples? That sets the expectation very early on that this is a part of what they're, they're about. Now, the second part of this is, is kind of taking it to the next level, and that is casting a multiplying vision or painting a picture for, that, for the people that you're discipling about what life is going to look like when this starts to really multiply. So you want to kind of talk about that. What is this going to look like in five years, in 10 years, as we're working together to, to see more and more and more disciples multiplied? And so when they begin to see that picture, that vision for disciple making, that vision for multiplication begins to become a part of the way they see the ministry, the, w- the way that they interpret even what they're learning. And so as they're learning from you and that they're learning to follow Jesus, they're not just learning to follow Jesus as an individual, but they're beginning to think about how is this going to replicate to others? How am I going to be able to help others with, w- with what we have? And that really relates to the third tool, and that is that you need to use tools that are pass-on-able, that are easy for people that you're discipling to take and replicate in their own disciple making. And so some of the tools that we've talked about are things like Discovery Bible Study. Now, one of the reasons I use that uh, is that it's so easy to replicate. People are using this and it's replicating and it's being used by people all over the world. Even non-believers can lead a Discovery Bible Study. Now, as a teacher, I could use tools that are really different. Um, that are accessible to people that are more uh, more wired like I am, but that would that would immediately sterilize my efforts in disciple making. A friend of mine once was being invited to go into a village and uh, and try to train worship leaders. And on his way in, he was carrying his guitar, and the person, the missionary that was inviting him, said, "Oh, whoa, whoa, you need to keep that here." And he said, "Well, what are you talking about? I always lead worship with my guitar." He says, "Yeah, yeah, but if you bring that guitar into this village." Um, then these people are going to have the best worship experience they've ever had. And it will not multiply. They will not learn. They won't be equipped because they don't know how to play guitar. You've got to come in here with tools they have that they can use and that will replicate in this context. And so he had to change his whole strategy so there's a seed inside the fruit. The same is true in the, the ways that we're discipling. When we're talking about things like a, you know, our getaways or, or how to how to do training uh, meetings or counseling meetings or discovery Bible studies. All of these are tools that uh, we're trying to make it simple enough so that anybody could replicate this that wants to make disciples. You don't want to make it so high or so uh, specific to a particular temperament that it's not going to multiply. So that's the third tool um, that we want to make sure that the things we're using are pass audible. Number four, that you need to give your apprentices an assignment to find somebody or another group of people to disciple before your season of discipleship is over. You need to give them an assignment to find the people they're going to disciple before 
that season of discipleship is over. Because if you end that season of discipleship and all those all those rhythms go away, and you're just kind of hoping that they're going to go out, you know, and maybe a year or two replicate what you've given them, the chances are very uh, very slight that they're going to actually follow through on that. It needs to be a part of the process. Now, if you bake it into your process, they're going to bake it into their process. And again, you can see the multiplication happen because the strategy is there, the seed is in the fruit. And so we wanna make sure that 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 happens for the people we're apprenticing. We wanna give them that assignment while we're still in that uh, season of discipleship. Number five, the more faithful they are towards multiplying, the more you wanna really pour more effort into what they're doing. So you wanna see places where that's happening and you wanna pour more attention and more thought into helping them, right? So this happens a lot with with, uh, multi-generational families. If there is a a multi-generational family with five or six uh, children in in the second generation, uh, but all of a sudden one of those kids starts having four, five, six, seven kids, you know, and th- those grandparents are going to want to spend more time investing over there because there's so many grandchildren. Like they, they're, they're going to need more help. Uh, and so that, that's a really important signal that, hey, I, that first generation needs to come and be a part of what's going on here. Something really amazing is happening that's going to pierce, you know, into the future for hundreds of years through the, these grandchildren. We need to invest there. Um, and so that's not to say we neglect the other people, but man, there's a real uh, emphasis on making sure that we're supporting multiplication. And so you, you want to be paying attention to what's going on and, and, and focus your efforts there. Um, number six, we need to count and celebrate multiplication. We need to actually be aware. Is our fruit going to the second, third, fourth generation? There are a lot of a lot of great efforts, and there's even um, people that have thought a lot about how to multiply, but they, they don't ever seem to get past the fourth generation. And so they have to go back and look at the fruit, understand the strategy, and try to figure out what is going on. And a big part of our process here is going to be to have those conversations. We need to count what's going on generationally, count the generations, and then celebrate, right, when there is multiplication happening. You want to think about, is there something you actually want to even do? Like, hey, I can't wait to take you guys. We're going to, we're going to go and celebrate. We're going to have like an evening where when we get to this point of multiplication, you know, let's say you could say to the people you're discipling now, when the people you're discipling are discipling somebody, the minute that happens, we're going to celebrate. A lot of people have, have, have just sort of observed that we are what we celebrate. And if we don't take a moment to say, this is a big deal, like we need to mark this moment. We got to the fourth generation. Um, let's talk about that. Let's really enjoy and, and, and understand the significance of that. Oftentimes, those things start to get neglected over time. And so that's an, a way to insert that seed in the fruit. And then also, we want to invite you guys to invite the people you're apprenticing to go through this intensive. Um, the, part of the reason why we're doing this on video and we're doing this in a scalable way is so that as you're making disciples, you can invite those people when they're, they're ready to make disciples into the same process that you were a part of. And this is scalable enough so that we can also coach them and make sure that they're getting all of these lessons. They're getting the lessons from you about what actually it means to follow Jesus, but they may need to get some lessons from us about the whole strategy behind disciple making so that it does become a strategy that works in this culture. All the things you're learning, uh, it's a strategy that, that ultimately multiplies, that they understand the big picture why behind all of the things that you introduce them to, the importance of immersion, all of the lessons that we've, we've looked at through the course of this intensive. And so we want you to invite those people and we want to do this together. And so I want you to, to just imagine how, how important do you think multiplication is, especially if you were to compare it to all the other things that you do as a disciple maker. 
And oftentimes, the amount of work it takes to put the seed in the fruit is over the course of the entire disciple-making journey, maybe 5% of the effort. It doesn't take a ton of effort to do the kinds of things I just described, to, to mention it, to cast a vision, you know, to celebrate, to count, um, things like that. Th th that's not like a huge added, it's not an added rhythm, it's not an added part that it's going to be ongoing. It's just, it's something that you need to emphasize and be aware of and, and to occasionally uh, bring into the picture. So that, maybe that's 5%. Of, of the actual effort of the disciple-making journey. But imagine what is the percentage uh, of the total fruit of your disciple-making that's inside of that 5%. And the way that I think about this is, you know, when Abraham was alive, he, he I'm sure, lived a very good life. We have a lot of great stories about Abraham and what he did. Um, but, but I'd ask, ask the question, what percentage of Abraham's fruit of his life came through the efforts of his life during his time on the earth and if contrast that to how much fruit came from his having and raising Isaac, the multiplication of Abraham and Sarah, what would you say are, was the difference? So you look at, you know, we wouldn't even know about these stories that Abraham lived uh, and what he did if it wasn't for uh, the fact that he had Isaac, right? So that, the difference is, is kind of almost crazy. If you think about all the fruit that came from Abraham's life, every person, Moses, David, the Messiah, and every Jewish person that's ever lived on the face of the earth came through Abraham's decision to have and raise his son, Isaac. And so it's not probably too much to suggest that if your disciple-making is very, very fruitful in the multiplication sense, that could account for 95% of the fruit that you ultimately bear, could all be inside of this 5% of making sure that it doesn't just stop with you, but it multiplies. So this is how big of a deal this is. So much is going to be done during the disciple-making process. But if that gets passed on, so much more is going to be done. That's the power of exponential multiplication. So we want to make sure that whatever we do, we honor that fact. And so I want to ask you guys, what is your multiplication strategy? What are the things you're going to, you're going to commit to doing that are going to make sure there is seed in the fruit of your disciple-making? So take a look at those tools, and there might be others that, that you have thought of that would create multiplication in your, in your, in your disciple-making. Whatever those are, Let's talk about them. Let's solidify them. Let's commit to them because so much of our fruitfulness is going to come from that. Again, God's strategy is to be fruitful, multiply, and then subdue. We're not going to see the kind of subduing that Jesus is calling for in Genesis 20 to go and make disciples of all nations through an addition strategy. It'll only come through multiplication. And multiplication only comes when you put the seed in the actual fruit itself. So we need to, to make concrete what is our multiplication strategy. Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a deep desire to actually make disciples in your context, but you simply don't know how, we'd love to invite you to apply for our coaching intensive called Life on Life Discipleship, where you're going to work through online content and receive personal coaching on this journey to making disciples that multiply. So for more information and to apply for this coaching, head over to 1kh.org slash discipleship. We'll see you for the next episode.